All right. Um, let's, uh, let's just dive right into it uh, real quick. If you have your notes, I just have a couple things for you to fill out, and then we're going to have uh, some fun things uh, planned this morning. Uh, we've been in this series called Bless This Home. We've, uh, this is week four of a four-week series. Uh, and so if you've missed any of the previous weeks, we'd love for you to go online. You can uh, watch any of the archived messages online. But the kind of the premise of this was that we would take the Beatitudes, the teachings of Jesus, and we would apply them into our homes. Uh, and, and the kind of the big theme of this is that we're not just a Christian family, but that we are a Christ-centered home. Uh, today, we're going to take a look at this idea that if you are a Christ-centered family, the reality is, is that you are going to face persecution. Yay! Right? I mean, nobody likes this idea that, uh, that we're going to now be persecuted because we are a Christ-centered family. But the reality is, is Matthew chapter 5 reminds us that blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Now, we have to distinguish this word persecute, right? I mean, because what we see in scripture is a very different version of persecution than what we would possibly be talking about today. Uh, in scripture, what we see is uh, in 1 Peter, Peter's talking to a group of Christians that are suffering and being persecuted by, uh, by more than anything our little saved brains could even imagine. In fact, one of the things that they would do is they would take the Christians and they would place them into a, the middle of a coliseum with crowds all around them, and then they would release lions. And if they didn't renounce their faith, if they didn't turn from their faith in Christ, then the lions obviously would eat them. They would devour them physically. Now, that's not a persecution that's, that's necessarily what we endure. However, there are people all across the world who do face persecution because of their faith. The persecution that we're really addressing currently in our state is that when we separate ourselves, when we are in this world but not of this world, Right? When we are different, there is the potential that people will not understand that and will look at us and criticize us. They'll, they'll be opposition towards us. They, they'll mock us. They'll taunt us. Right? It could even be uh, harassment that takes place. That when we as a Christ-centered family try to live in this world, it will be different than the rest of the world. And the persecution that comes our way is not uh, in a coliseum with lions all around, but it is in the face of, of, of losing friendships. It is in the face of, of being mocked and, and taunted at times. And I don't know what it is for you in your life. I don't know how the differentiating uh, takes place in your family. Uh, for many families, it's different, right? It, it, where you draw your lines, uh, what you due to establish a Christ-centered home is very different across different families. And, uh, and, and so what I want to do this morning is I want us to have the opportunity to hear from different families and to hear about uh, how they establish a Christ-centered home in their life or how they are establishing a Christ-centered home in their life. Uh, 
The truth is, and this is in your notes, and, and you can fill these in if you're one of those people that have to fill it in, is if you are different than the world, you can expect persecution. You can expect it. The passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then in John chapter 15, uh, verse 18 through 20, it says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. This is Jesus speaking. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. So what do we do when we feel persecution, when we feel uh, like we're being mocked? We endure it. When we are cursed, we bless, 1 Corinthians tells us. When we are persecuted, we endure it. And here's the kind of the big idea when it comes to being different in this world, is that when you establish for your family, when you establish for your home, for your marriage, a strong identity, then whatever pressure that comes from the outside, whatever peer pressure there may be, is weak. But if you have no strong identity for your home, for your marriage, for your family, if you, if you don't know who you are, if you don't know that you are Christ-centered, then that same peer pressure becomes very strong. So I thought it'd be fun to establish uh, for you the opportunity to ask some questions. Uh, somebody in first service saw the setup and, and, uh, and Im- immediately thought the Maury Povich show, like we were, uh, there's gonna be some paternity tests this morning. Uh, no, uh, we're, not, we're not doing that. Um, now, what we are doing is uh, we're inviting some, uh, some, some people up to the stage who uh, kind of represent a broad range of demographics from our church, and, uh, and you're going to have the opportunity to ask them questions uh, live as we, as we sit here. Uh, there's going to be a number up on the screen here. Uh, and you can text your question to that number. Don't ask me why it's a Minnesota area code. I don't know. It's Google, right? So uh, th- this is the number you can text to. But I want to introduce to you the couples. The first is uh, Lucinda Williams. Uh, Lucy is here. Oh, there you are. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I said couples. The first, first individual is, uh, is Lucy. But let us find somebody for you. Um, uh, Pastor Lucy is a single mom. Uh, she adopted AJ out of the foster care minute, uh, out of foster care, uh, out of the system, and uh, is just a, an amazing, amazing mom. And how she's raising little AJ, and so she's going to share a little bit more. Uh, the next uh, people that I would like to invite is uh, Jeremy and Amy Pummel. Uh, Jeremy and Amy have uh, uh, a daughter, their oldest daughter is just going into middle school. Uh, their youngest, uh, Griffin, is four years old. Uh, and then Brian and Ruth Sark. Uh, Brian and Ruth uh, have all of their children out of the house now, and whether in college or married and careers. Uh, and so they're entering into this new season of empty nesting. And then Carlos and Brooke Ramos. Uh, Carlos and Brooke have a blended family. 
some of you know their story, but uh, they in- encounter all of the challenges that come with, um, with, with dealing with her- hers and his and family and all of that dynamic. I'm going to put this over here. Uh, and then Kelly and myself will be up here as well. So the way this is going to work, I think she is. Maybe she's not coming. Um, I made her mad for service, so I guess I'll sit here. Um, I guess she doesn't want to talk. Um, so the way this is going to work is you have to actually text in questions. Uh, because if you don't, uh, then we have nothing to offer you. Uh, I have a couple uh, kind of feeder questions. First service, no, no pressure, but first service, we had questions left over. We couldn't get to all the questions. Uh, oh, I got to move. Sorry. Yeah, thank you. Is she hiding? Oh, sorry. Um, so here we go. We're just going to, we're going to kick it off. We've got uh, our first question uh, and then just start uh, sending them in. Here's the thing is I, I'm the filter right now. So if you're going to have a smart aleck comment or remark, uh, I'm functioning with the help of the Holy Spirit to filter some of that stuff out. And uh, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but yeah. All right. This is for anyone. Uh, have you ever ran into a situation where you're trying to speak life into your child and they constantly push back against it? And if so, how do you navigate that situation? Uh, I think um, when we experienced that, what what happened with us, and I, we spoke a little bit about this at the end of the first service, but um, let me just start by saying family and parenting is the most difficult, challenging thing, I think, around, right? It's the greatest thing around, too, but, but none of us are going to have any kind of exhaustive, uh, you know, philosophy on on parenting but um, one of the things that that we spoke about in the first service was when you when you've got conflict in in the home um, you know if I don't know if this is totally true but if if you've got children that you think have issues you probably have issues Um, and that I'm just speaking from personal experience with with myself Um, but what we learned with, with some help from, from somebody else is, is something that really was, was a game changer. You know that, everybody likes that word, game changer. Um, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. But, and this is it. We, we, were, we began to pray over our children in their presence with our hands on them. We would touch them. I don't care how, what kind of conflict you have, do it. Um, because that, those kind of things will drive you to a place of, if I'm going to come to my child and place my hands on them and pray for them, I mean, I've got to come in the right spirit, right? So you come, and that, that shows value to your child. And, and we can speak from experience. It changed. It, it was a huge part of God redeeming uh, a relationship. And... Um, 
And that's what he's in the business of doing. That's what he wants to do. So I, that's a, something kind of practical, I would say. Yeah, and I would say, too, that, you know, the devil comes with all kinds of fear, trying to keep you from doing that. And you have to press through that because one day you stand before God and you, you know, he's going to say, so you were just fearful to do it. And, you, you know, no, you have to press through as a parent and do what you have to do and uh, lay your hands on them, bless them. And the Lord's love overcomes. Good. Uh, here's here's a, a easy one. Uh, we'll throw this at Jeremy and Amy. How do you how do you raise your daughters in a hypersexualized society so they'll choose to maintain their purity while not alienating them from their peers? Or actually, somebody said Brian and Ruth could speak to that as well. So e- either one, I, I would. That's a big question. You know, honestly, this, I mean, it might not, I think this is individual, but we've been talking about sex for a long time at our house. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) anyways, I think just, um, you know, when I was pregnant with my second, my daughter, London, was two and a half, and she's always been very inquisitive. So, you know, we started some conversations as early as that because she was able to see, you know, babies come into the world. And then when I was pregnant with our youngest, my girls were four and six, and so they definitely had more questions. So um, I think just having open conversations about just, you know, what that means we talk about culture, we watch stuff on TV, I'll point stuff out, ask them questions. How does that make you feel when a girl dances like that? How does that make you feel when um, you see or hear you know, jokes, things like that? So we just keep the conversation going. Um, and just to add to that, it is one of our values in our, in our home to just be very transparent with each other. And so I have, a, We've talked about this a lot, even before we had kids, but just that we're, the, our kids are going to learn about sex and sexuality somewhere. So we would prefer they learn it from us. That's why we start so early with them, because earlier and earlier, our kids are learning these things. They're hearing about these things from, from school. Our kids are in public school, and so we know they're going to hear about it. So we started very early with them. And then one of the things we did um, was we started a 10-year-old trip, and we started with London, who's 11 now. Last year, we took her on a 10-year-old trip, and uh, it was a super fun trip, but we went really deep with her, and we talked about everything, and she was very uncomfortable most of the time, but we just felt like it was great just to get away, and it was just the three of us, and it was a really special time, but we talked really about everything. Because we felt like at 10 years old, that's a good place before she goes into middle school. So that's been a really big thing for us is just that we want them to always feel like they can talk to us about everything. We don't want them to ever feel like, what's that? Not be embarrassed, Not be embarrassed about anything. We don't want them to ever feel like they have to hide something from us. And I know every parent probably says that. But the more you can try to implement that in your home, I think the better. Yeah, the, the truth is, is we, I mean, as embarrassed as our children are, I think it's even more embarrassing for us to have that conversation. And it's why we don't, honestly. It's why we, uh, 
uh, we shy away from them. We just can't. Uh, my guess is that for many, if you have kids around this age, uh, you, your parents maybe neglected having that conversation with you. We can't do the same. We can't perpetuate that. Uh, you guys have anything to add to that um, necessarily? No, I think just, I think we also, I think Jeremy and Amy probably covered this, but in speaking to girls, your girls, you can also kind of explain to them what guys are seeing, what, what, what's happening in a, in, a, in a young man when in this kind of a culture and is that what you want to um, produce? Thank you, yeah, I was looking for a word that I, what would what'd you say? Ignite, thank you, it's better than the one I had. That, that's next gen, that's right, thanks, ignite. No, so, you know, so, and again, as, as we've kind of been talking about and I think Jeremy said before, it's, it's, it's the heart it's you're looking for um, producing a heart of that in a in a young girl and a young boy that would honor young men and honor themselves first, really. Good. Um, this is this is a tough one, and I'm not sure uh, anyone on this panel will be able to to answer this question, but I'll I'll do my best to answer it, even though I I couldn't understand the challenge of it and it, it just says after after divorce my 14 year old won't, won't talk to me and uh, you know I, the, the challenge of divorce is real and it's hard and, uh, and and I would just say you know when it comes to being a Christ-centered home there's just in first service we had a question that came up about uh, living in a divided home living in a home where uh, where y- you or a believer, you want a, a Christ-centered home, but your spouse doesn't. So how do you navigate that? And, and I would say both of these are, are similar in the sense that you, you begin to live that out in your life. If you begin to live a Christ-centered life, and then the, the other option is to pray. And, and if we really do believe in the power of prayer, then that is, that is the solution. It is the option. And it's different. It doesn't necessarily change things right away. You don't know how long you know that that is. Uh, Jeremy, you mentioned a book on the on the power of prayer. Yeah, there's an author named Stormy Omartian, I believe her name is, and she's written a lot of books: "The Power of, of a Praying Wife," "The Power of a Praying Husband," and other books, um, parenting. And she has an incredible testimony and story. So Stormy Omartian. It's a great author. In that. Yeah, and then Kelly has something to add. Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, although we are healthy and I have not ex- personally experienced divorce, um, thank the Lord, um, I have been raised in a home where my parents were divorced. And so I can speak to that as the kid um, raised in that atmosphere. And what I would say is, and encourage is, if that is you, just try your hardest to not speak one negative word of the other parent to your children because I really believe that no matter who's at fault, no matter what the circumstances are, um, just we need to be responsible for ourselves and how we love our kids and how we raise them. So um, that can really hinder the relationship further if all they're hearing is negative things about the other parent. I can kind of speak to it a little bit, kind of like Kelly. Uh, I grew up in the same situation. And I definitely agree because for me that was very important. My mom, 
never once ever mentioned a uh, bad thing about my dad or anything like that. It was always positive. Like, hey, you know what? Uh, he was supposed to pick me up. She would make sure, like, hey, you know, if something happened, maybe traffic or something, don't worry about it. He'll come back next time. Never once did she ever say anything. Like, once I grew older, I saw things for myself. But I really appreciated the fact that she never once ever threw him under the bus or said anything bad. Because uh, now as an older person, I understand what she was trying to do. Uh, and I just pre I really appreciated all the love that she that she sowed into my life uh, as, a, as a young kid. So, Yeah, that's, that's living out a Christ-centered life, right? When, when we... When we honor, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, when we honor other people, um, how how do you prioritize your spouse when your kids need so much? Uh, for me, <laughs> um, the way that I look at it in my family is that. If she's not functioning right, I'm not functioning right, and then that trickles down to the kids. And so I tell my kids that, I, of course, that of course I love them, but uh, we're very intentional about setting date nights, about spending time with one another. And even when we're having conversations, it's very clear, like, hey, look, if we're talking, you know, this is, this is our time, give us our little space. Or we'll just go out, and, of course, the kids will ask, how come we can't go with you to SeaWorld or wherever it is that you guys are going to? And it's like, well, you know, it's important for us to have our time the same way that we have time with you guys. Is of course we spend time with them, take them to you know, uh, do ZM or spend time with them, whatever. But uh, they need to see, hey, you know what? Uh, it's important for us to be good. And we tell them, you know, because if we're going crazy, we're gonna be crazy towards you. Is that what you want? And they're like, no. It's like okay. Uh, so and of course we have family that helps support us. So just letting the kids know, like, hey, look, we need this just as much as you need time with us. So yeah, I I flat out tell my kids I like their mom more than them. I do. They they and, like their mom more than they like. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that is true. I've heard that is true. Everybody loves Kelly, right? I mean, that's it. Everybody. Yeah, it's you know. I mean, the reality is priority. You, you have to prioritize that time. Uh, in in first service, a question came up about how do you prepare yourself for empty nesting and. The reality is, is if you don't spend time with your spouse, if you're not communicating with your spouse now, when your kids are gone, you're going to be sitting across the table staring at another person that you don't even know anymore. And, uh, and man, you, you just have to, to prioritize that. And just a quick thing here to add. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, go ahead. When we lived in Denver and we were pastoring, we didn't have a very good support system for um, for us to be able to spend a lot of time together. So one of the huge factors in moving here to San Antonio is to be around family for free babysitting. <laughs> no, but for to have that support. And my, my parents love having the kids. And so um, we spend more time than we ever have together because we've set it up that way. And I know not everybody has family nearby, but I would say budget into your monthly budget, the ability to be able to do that, make it a priority. I think it's hugely important. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I talk to my kids about everything. They know that marriage takes work. Uh, you know, when I was young, I thought everything would be perfect if I just married the right person. And we know that that's not true, that it takes work. Jared and I did go through a hard time where we went to a week-long counseling. And I told my kids exactly where we were going, exactly why we were going. And so it's really not hard for us to say, you know, we need some alone time, even if, 
we're all together, that they know that the choices that we make are important to keep our marriage together, to keep our family together. Lucy, this one's for you. Uh, how do you uh, manage not having uh, a positive uh, male role model similar to first service, positive male role model in AJ's life? How do you navigate that as a single mom? Well, um, I do have positive role models in his life. Fortunately, I'm surrounded by uh, quite a few here at the church. I'm very intentional about um, asking them to spend time um, with AJ, or I just invite myself over to their house. <laughs> they have no choice. Um, but no, it, it is very, very intentional. Um, when he was a part of KDO here at the church, every year they did donuts with dads, and I was like, he is not missing that. And so I just asked people to, uh, Alex Well did it a couple of times, uh, Forrest Kim, just asked them, hey, would you um, be, be that person for him on that day? And it was so special to him. And so um, I'm very intentional about seeking out um, godly men, because those are the ones that I want to influence him. So seek out godly men to spend time with him, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, just them, or me being a part of what their family is doing so he could see that dynamic. Uh, another question came through. How do you encourage uh, other single people and involve them in, uh, in community if they don't have anyone in their life? Um, there's a second part to that question. I'm not sure I fully understand it, but... One of the things that's challenging as uh, a single mom is you're kind of in in no man's land in, in some ways, right? Yeah, I actually, um, when I adopted AJ, I have a very, very good friend who she uh, was a single mom for a very long time. She just recently got married. Um, and I remember she said, uh, welcome to the Lonely Club. And I thought, oh my goodness, because she said, you will not get invited out with couples because you're not a couple. And your single friends will probably abandon you because now you have a kid and it's always can you go out oh I have to see if I have a babysitter or I, or I have to be back by nine because my child has to be and so single people just don't invite you out anymore so you're kind of yeah in the in-between in no man's land and um, and it's true I've experienced it um, but again fortunately um, I am not shy <laughs> about picking up the telephone and you have to be um, I don't have family here I do not have any family here, and so I choose not to spend holidays by myself. If nobody invites me, I pick up the phone and say, what can I bring to Christmas at your house? <laughs> um, but I do because I don't want to be alone, and I don't um, want to be isolated. That's not healthy. And so um, you just have to sometimes be bold. If you don't get the invitation, then you let people know, hey, um, I'm available on this day. Um, and what would you like to do? I mean, you invite them into your situation if they're not inviting you into theirs. Uh, I'm going to direct this one to you, Brian and Ruth. What advice do you have for couples who want to have kids uh, but have anxieties around finances, careers, change, all of, all of that? <laughs> have kids, period. That, just stop being afraid. I mean, look. We can all sit here and think about all the finance, all the things that, that cost money. And you, you can either decide that God likes children and family and he will take care of you, or you can just live in fear all your life. Yeah. So, I mean. I mean, I've seen, <laughs> I could tell you stories, but I've seen the Lord provide over and over and over for our kids from all the way through college, just because he's a good daddy. And he, you know, you have him, he'll bless you for it. 
Yeah, I've told this story before, right? Uh, but in case you haven't heard it, uh, when Kelly and I first moved here 11 years ago, it was uh, two years into being here, well, a year and a half, I, stand, I stood right here and for whatever reason happened to be in the passage of scripture that talks about your quiver being full. And I made the stupid comment of saying, our quiver is full because we had Jacob, we had Claire, and not a month later, we found out that we were pregnant and we had no maternity insurance. Uh, we had nothing because we had sold everything in garage sales uh, for her. And, uh, and I remember sitting across the table at a council meeting that Brian was at and I was freaking out. He could see the panic on my face. Uh, and he just opens his Bible, goes to the passage of scripture that says the children are a blessing from the Lord. And the reality is, is that's true. They are a blessing from the Lord. And when we step into that, if we are able to step into parenthood, uh, the, the Lord honors that and blesses that. So we are a testimony of, of God's provision. Uh, he did. Um, how do, um, what do I do? And, and maybe I'll direct this to you, Jeremy and Amy. What do I do if I, I found God and, and I'm getting over my past hurts, habits, and hangups? I, I put in hurts, habits, and hangups in there because it just says past. Uh, but since we've talked about that this year, but my husband is still stuck in his own ways and struggling to find God. How do I, how do I navigate that? Uh, just as an individual, as, a, as a, probably more as a spouse. Um, so I, uh, this person saying, I found God, and God's working through some of my past. But my spouse is still kind of stuck in their, in their past. I mean, first off, and most important is prayer, obviously. Just, you got to pray. Some, no, no one ever changes unless you, they really want to. And, and so you just pray for their heart and, and just contend and intercede and continue to pray for their heart. Um, we've, man, we've gone, especially um, pastoring in Denver and then some here as well, countless situations like this where one person either they they accept Jesus and they start a relationship with Jesus but their spouse isn't there and it can be very very frustrating discouraging and and very can be a very difficult situation um, I did mention Stor Stormy Omarty and there's other resources but she tells a story of, of essentially that kind of happened with her I believe if I remember right um, so praying and then just and 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 then just being, just just being that person in, in your spouse's life that reflects and shows Jesus, um, because you definitely don't want to get to a place where you've changed and then you just want them to change. It's gotta it's gotta come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can that can can bring about change. Yeah, and this does make me think. One of my really good girlfriends is kind of going through this, and she always has to. We always talk about, you know, codependency and making sure that you don't, you know, forget what God's doing in your life and turn it around. How can I make the change happen in my spouse's life? I think that's a trap. That's good. Um, and so giving the person respect and freedom really to be on their own path. And that's hard as a spouse. But she's really come to the point where I'm not going to tell them what I want from them. I'm just going to, you know, give it to God and, and let him know, hey, I respect where you're at. You know, I give you freedom 
and within letting go, I think is when, you know, God can really come in. So it's just making sure that you're not being codependent and no one wants to be told what to do, you know? So I try to encourage her to like, make sure share your testimony, like share the real things that God is doing in your life without putting pressure on um, the other person instead of telling them, I wish you'd do this. I wish you'd go to church with me. I wish just be like, well, church was so great. God did this in me, you know? Good. Oh, yeah, you can speak on that, and you can answer the question, how do you navigate exes when you want a Christ-centered family? So both of those. Yeah, I was going to say, not so much my spouse, but my ex, um, you know, when we got married, we wanted to have a Christ-centered home. But how do you do that when you have a, you know, I have my daughter, so she has her dad, and I don't want her to be at at our house, Christ-centered, and then going to, you know, with the weekends with her dad or time with her dad and not being the same or being totally opposite or anything. So um, me and Carlos, we, we prayed a lot for him. And through those prayers, Olivia joined the children's worship team. And so she told her dad, hey, I need to be going to church every, um, every Sunday. So when I'm with you, I need to be going to church as well. So through her, he started coming here as well. So it's, it's really amazing how God worked through that relationship through, you know, so that we're all on the same page and we're all being Christ-centered. Yeah. And the other thing is just like prayer really has been the most important thing in our life. Because uh, sometimes we as humans have a lot of emotion, right? Uh, for example, uh, initially early on in the relationship, there was a lot of uh, emotion involved because... I was solo active duty. I was PCS into Germany. I couldn't take them because of the issue that we had with uh, him being here. He wanted to spend time with his daughter. So there was a lot of legal issues and stuff like that. And so I had to put that aside and just once again give it to God because that was completely out of my control. I, I was on military orders. The government's going to send me where they wanted to send me. And um, at the end of it all, really God worked through through some miracle, a special program came out and got to be separated and came back home so that we can actually still be together as a family. And, uh, and once again, got to influence uh, uh, her ex, really, to just say, we need to keep this together for our daughter. So I had to put myself out of the equation and just make it about her so that we can make it work. But once again, this is through prayer. Uh, this good. This question: uh, How do we, as uh, spouses, settle or clear out conflict within our home without affecting what our children see? Uh, we don't. Uh, we don't want to argue or bicker, but it's difficult to resolve conflict when children are present. We want to make sure that they still see we respect each other and love each other and understand what it means to have a supportive and loving spouse, uh, and sort out conflict with a cool head. Um, so, uh, I think we can address that a little bit. We. Uh, one, one of the things that we uh, wanted to make it a point to is to not hide from our kids' conflict. Uh, I think, we'll, and there may be people even on this stage that disagree with us in this, but uh, we felt like we don't want our kids to grow up and get married uh, with the understanding that uh, spouses don't ever fight. Because uh, if you're married, you probably know that that's not true. Uh, and so w- instead, we wanted to model for our kids what healthy conflict looks like. And we, we're not the best at it. Um, she's definitely not the best. No, I'm just, I'm just, 
I'm just kidding. No, we're, we're, not, the, we're not the best at it, but, um, but there are times in which we have to sit down and have that conflict where we disagree even when it comes to parenting or our kids and some of that, but we wanted to make sure that our kids could see conflict. I know of families who just kind of hide their conflict behind um, closed doors, and then all of a sudden they end up divorced, and their kids have no idea what's going on because they never saw any conflict in their life. Well, and you think you're hiding it, but... <laughs> You're probably not, um, you know, because I grew up in that, that household where they, they fought supposedly behind, you know, closed doors, but we heard every word. So sometimes you think you're hiding it and you're not. Um, but also I was going to say in partly what we try to do, we're not perfect at this, is when we do have that conflict in front of our kids, we really work on <laughs> resolving the conflict in front of them as well because I believe that when they see oh, that wasn't so bad, they were able to, you know, get through that and, and resolve it and still love each other. Um, there's hope for, for my parents, there's hope for, you know, my marriage in the future and all of those things. So I think it is very healthy for them to see, yes, the conflict, but also um, the resolving of the conflict. Well, uh, one of the greatest lessons we've learned is it is so healthy for you to apologize to your spouse in front of your kids. That is huge. All right, um, how, how do we protect teenagers from the bad side of social media, uh, in parentheses, porn, cyberbullying, et cetera, without sheltering to a point of rebellion? Anyone? I dealt with this yesterday, actually, a little bit. Uh, so because you were coming on stage? Probably. <laughs> here you go. Here's an example for you. Uh, so it wasn't so much the, the pornography, but there was definitely uh, one of the friends trying to peer pressure our daughter into uh, a relationship or just, I don't even know how, just, just inappropriateness. A lot of, it was kind of silly, but it was very inappropriate. And she felt the peer pressure enough to hide the message and delete it completely. And so periodically we go through the phone just to see what's going on. And she let her know, hey, we were going to go through your phone. And there's a missing thread of conversation. So of course that sparked the conversation. Like, why did that delete it? Why is that deleted? And so, um, eventually, through some interrogation techniques, uh, <laughs> got to the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah, I'll teach a class later. Yeah. <laughs> Car Carlos is teaching our parenting class on, <laughs> on interrogations. Healthy. She, she no waterboarding, though, right? Like, not, that's not, not the first level. Okay. The second level. <laughs> uh, so, eventually, through conversation, um, and uh, we, we got to put together what was going on, and... Um, she kind of, we, we painted the big picture as to what was going on and kind of put her outside of the situation and say, if your friend was dealing with that, how do you think that would look like? What do you think? And I asked her the question, do you know what's going on through my head when I see that missing? She's like, no. I was like, do you think, and they kind of just gave her like worst case scenario. I'm imagining this, gave a worst case scenario. She's like, but that's not what happens. I'm like, right. But that's what I quickly assume because you're hiding something from me. Like, it's better if you show me what's going on so I can see what's happening. We can talk about it. And then after the fact, you know, deal with the consequences. Because regardless, there's going to be consequences, especially if it's bad. But I'd much rather you do that so we can deal with it at this level rather than you hide it. We find out. You lie about it. So now you're in trouble for the lie on top of whatever else you did. And now we can't trust you because you're going to be a teenager soon. So we can't, we can't trust you as a teenager. We're starting us to show this now that you can't, you can't be trusted. If you want to be trusted later, it all starts now. So. 
Uh, Jeremy and Amy, you guys uh, are are kind of in the middle of, of this, at least with the cell phone and having to have conversations. Why don't you guys speak to that a little bit? Yeah, our oldest is just entering sixth grade, so I think she's just kind of, you know, barely stepped foot into what is all out there. But like Jared talked about taking her out on her 10-year-old trip, I mean, I feel like she, I think it's important, first of all, they need to know what's out there. You know, if they stumble across pornography and, you know, don't know what it is, I think, you know, we've missed um, a major opportunity. So I think first and foremost is just making sure they know what's out there, what they're going to be exposed to before um, they are. And then I've we've looked online for the best resources for there's a great campaign, Christian campaign called Wait Till 8 that talks about um, if you're going to allow social media, at least waiting till 8. I've had London read all about it so she can feel like she um, is armed with the knowledge of what's out there and science that backs it up as well as Bible. Um, obviously, she's going to have to make a choice, so I want her to be prepared with um, just as much knowledge as she can. Yeah, I mean, so she has a phone. We got her a phone this year and, and just to keep in communication with us, but no social media. And so that's just a, I mean, we, our kids are still so young. Um, so we're still, we, we, we're not having to completely deal with that, but we try everything we can. When we first started having kids, I read a, a book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And it was just incredible. And it just talks about just do everything you can to. And, and we, you know, parents, we, we try. We just do what we can. We, we really try. And I just be led by the Holy Spirit with your kids. And, and, and Pastor Ryan spoke about this a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago that, you know, really focus on their heart at an early age. And, and, and don't just set, set up rules in your house. Um, but like one of the things that we really try to do as a family is to lead um, and, and to really focus more as a family on what we're for than what we're against. So we definitely have rules, but um, I, I read another book called Never Say No. It was super intriguing, like what on parenting, never say no. I feel like that's all I ever say is no to my kids. But it was really a fantastic book because it really speaks to, like if, you're in a, if you have a decision in the road and there's don't go this way or go this way, if you're just focusing all on don't go that way, then they're curious, right? They're like, well, what's that way? It's like Adam and Eve in the garden. But rather, if you, if you focus your attention on let's go this way because this, this is the way that, that brings life. And even go and take them, take them with you on that way. I mean, I took my daughter to Columbia this year as one of the ways that I can begin to instill in her the right way rather than just stay at home and like, no, 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 don't do this, don't do that. So rules are very important, but I think in all of this, whether it's social media or whatever, instill as early as possible in their lives the right way and what God has for them because then they know their identity, they know who they are, and, and they'll recognize when they're going down a wrong path. I think sometimes we focus too, too much on what not to do. Be more for, talk more about what you're for than what you're against. That's, that's my thought. Good. Um, here's a question. Um, does opening up to your kids about your own past failures strengthen or damage the parent-child relationship? 
I'll just speak to that because um, I definitely had a hard, rough past. And so when my girls started getting older, I was confronted with, you know, how much do I share? And um, because I do know some people, we have a friend who's like, I'm not telling my kids what I did, you know, because I don't want them to think it's okay. And I, I get that. But I had, I felt like I, it's such a huge part of me, my testimony. I wanted my kids to hear it as early as possible. And the one thing I feel like God has led me to is to always have hope in, in it, like always focus on Jesus in the negativity. So, so not to scare them, you know, well, this is so bad, but that there's always good. So I think they need to hear what you've been through, but as long as you're putting the hope of Jesus in it so that they can know whatever they go through, you know, God pulled my mom out of this, whatever I go through, he's going to pull me out of this. Um, so I'm definitely all for transparency with my kids. It's, it's been an amazing, it's, and they'll bring up, you know, mom, that's like what God did with you, you know, when they hear a story. So, um, how do you deal with, uh, belligerent, strong-willed children who, if they don't listen, uh, end up creating havoc in your home. I'll say it that way. Anybody have any belligerent, strong-willed children that want to address that? My three-year-old. <laughs> All I know is our pediatrician with one of our children, I won't name which one, when they were very young, we recognized they were strong-willed. And our first child, we thought we thought we were the best parents in the world. We we're going to write a parenting book because it's just so easy. And then our second child came along and just more strong-willed. And then we thought we're the worst parents in the world. But our pediatrician said that I don't know if this is applicable to this, but anyway, she it was we took it as. But the strong-willed children, when they're young, they're difficult. But as they get older, they're the ones that don't give in to peer pressure as much. They're born leaders. So foster that in them. Harness it into the right direction. Because at this age, we see it as so evil and terrible. But as they get older, they're the, going to be the ones. And we see that as she gets older. Some of the leadership things that, is, that are, some of the leadership aspects is coming out in her. So every child is different embrace their personalities. I believe, we believe with all of our hearts, embrace it. And, and obviously you gotta, you gotta deal with it when they're young and that, no one knows the, the, the exact way to do that. But, but just keep on keeping on with who they are and who God's created them to be. Yeah, and I would, I would just ref, defer back to what uh, Brian and Ruth were talking about, about laying on of hands and praying for your children who become belligerent and who are strong-willed, that there's just an amazing diffusing of anger that takes place when you pray for your children. Um, <laughs> this is, uh, hmm. yeah, um, how do you feel about uh, spanking your child and how do you do it if you have to? Oh, man. Um, this is, uh, my guess is that uh, there would be people on this panel that would disagree. I'll, I'll answer it uh, for fear that I may lose my job. Um, 
we take uh, the biblical approach, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, we, uh, we spanked our children when they were young. Um, and there are some who just absolutely disagree with that. And not judging people one way or the other, just telling you what we did. Um, uh, uh, how? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll just say this. Uh, when it comes to how, not in anger. Not in anger. You do whatever you have to do to diffuse your anger or your frustration or whatever is going on and, and give yourself time so that you can calmly have that conversation and deal with the punishment. Yeah, it didn't, we didn't do this right every time either, but, um, but we came to a place where we were able to say and, and learn that where he just said and, and basically send them to their room or send them to our room and say, you just need to wait because I need to wait too. <laughs> Not, I didn't need to tell my kids that. I just knew that I would need to wait too because I don't want the spanking to be in anger. I don't want it to be abuse at all. And so it had to be in the right heart. And, and there was always a conversation before and after, an embrace after for sure. And, and they knew afterwards how much we loved them because we didn't want them to continue on in, in that behavior. And so that's the approach that we learned to take. Yeah, it was when our children were uh, young. I, I believe that when you, when you uh, discipline at a young age, it, it helps in the discipline as they get older. Um, we're not perfect at that uh, by any stretch, but um, I, I feel the judgment coming our way. Uh, <laughs> A little bit, so we kind of are uh, being a little transparent there. But um, the other thing is, I would just say it can't be one one parent. Um, it can't be the disciplinarian. No matter how you discipline your children, you can't always leave it up to the one parent. It has to be dual parenting when it comes to to parenting your children. You can't you can't be the nice parent and and let your spouse be the the, the bad guy. Um, anybody else want to speak to that that maybe doesn't spank their children and, and uh, I don't, I don't. We, we spank. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we did and, and as infrequently as possible, but, and I would just say, I, my mind is changing a little bit on this, but I would just say, if you are not spanking, you better have a good reason why you're not. If you're just afraid of something, that's not a good enough reason. I think I think if you're feeling something like that, you need to you need to find a good reason as to why why you're not. If that makes any sense. The only thing I have is it's who says that makes no sense. So <laughs> at least with our kids, I found that it's not always appropriate. So there's other measures in place first. It's always, it's always a gradual thing. It's not the first go-to. There's always a conversation that's had beforehand, a warning of anything. That there's no, so that they know there's consequences. So it's not always the first go-to. And even after the fact, after it's happened, uh, we have a conversation that's very similar to that. And then after the fact, it's like, okay, that's over. That's past. I don't hold, for the rest of the day, I don't hold that over the head. Like, well, you did this. Just so we just kind of continue on after that. So, Okay, so uh, let's, we're going to end with this. I'm going to give each, uh, each person an opportunity to share um, what, if there was a value that you, uh, or if there was one thing that you would want people to leave here with um, in regard to establishing a Christ-centered home, uh, what would it be? 
whether it, so it could be parenting, it could be uh, with your spouse, it could just be as an individual, like this is something that um, I am in the world, but I'm not of the world. What would be the, the thing that you would want to, to communicate? We'll start with you guys on the end, yeah. Um, so the last thing that, that I'll share is that our family has what we consider fa- family mottos or fa- family mantras, and we say them to each other every morning. Uh, before school, there's a couple different things we say when they're walking out the door, and, and uh, one of them is, so be friendly, be fearless, and have fun. That's one of our, Amy can unpack those three words for you, but uh, the other one is uh, be kind to unkind people because they need it the most. So these are just things we say to them all the time, and it's become uh, just something that they really know. London just wrote a poem, and she included that at school, and, and we were like, wow, she's, they really listen. And so it's just, we just do it all the time. It's repetition of just like, these are our things, these are our values. And, um, and then we just really value that, that just the idea that God has put us in the neighborhood we're in and the area we're in for a reason. And so we really feel that to be a Christ-centered home, it needs to be an open home. And uh, open to to those that that need to come in, and those that that the families that God would bring into our lives. And so we we're not super aggressive with it, but man, God opens so many doors for us in people's lives. We have a relationship with a number of families in our community. We live um, kind of over Boulevard in 1604, and our kids go to Longs Creek Elementary School. And in that area, God's just really allowed us into people's lives. And and, and our family, our, our kids know that now because it is a value. And we have a place in our kitchen that's it's kind of like a wall for our compassion kids. And just a wall that's, that's that it, it, it's like a window outside. It's not actually a window. But it's just a wall that, sh- that always reminds us of that it's not just about us as, as a family. That there are people out there that need us. And if we're a Christ-centered home, then they're going to, um, uh, yeah, anyways. Oh, yeah. It's just a fun thing to do. I create, you know, as a staff, we've created values at church. You know, um, Chick-fil-A has their values. So we just decided early on, who do we want to be? Who are the pummels? Um, and we always go back to that. Be friendly, be fearless, and have fun. And we have a Bible verse for each one. So it's a fun exercise to do. Who is your family? Um, you can come up with that together. Um, Brooke, yeah, go ahead. Um, I was going to say, so, well, a couple years ago, it was at a marriage conference, actually, I think it was here, Um, they said, you know, as awkward as it may be, or, you know, Pastor Ryan said it a lot, you know, pray with your spouse, and um, so me and Carlos, we started doing that, but now, I, we, every night, we pray with our kids, and we say, what, you know, what's your prayer request, or what do you, what's your praise report, or whatever, and it's so strange because I almost feel like it's more awkward for me to ask my own children, you know, what is your prayer request? But in doing that, I find out what's going on in their head, in their lives, what they're worried about. Because our kids are 11, 5, and 3, so there's quite a big age difference between our oldest and middle. Um, but I feel like that's really helped us, and it's really centered our home, you know, made us a Christ-centered home with that, um, with just praying, because honestly, like, we don't eat dinner together every night, we eat in shifts, because we're, we're in a very busy season of our lives, but just every night before bed, we just pray together, and that's really helped, helped us. I'll bet you get some sweet prayer requests from that three-year-old. He's always wanting to pray for the dinosaurs. Yeah. It's very sad that they're extinct. (laughs) (laughs) 
Good luck. And the other thing that I found out since they're so, uh, at that young age, they're really into their routine. And so sometimes we'll get so busy and distracted that they'll remind us, hey, mom, hey, dad, it's time to pray. So they keep us honest. And uh, so that helps out too. And the other thing is leading by example. Uh, about last Christmas, we went to California, and there was a situation where uh, a man got hit by a truck, and he was on the side of the road, and he was pretty banged up. And because of where, where we're in Huntington Beach, right by the beach, everybody just kind of passed him up because he was a homeless man. Anyways, myself and my brother came over and helped him out. And my son, my five-year-old, saw that. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, we're helping him out. He's like, why? And he asked all kinds of questions. And so for three months after that, that is still his prayer request because he's like, he's worried about the man. He's like, where is he at now? Is he okay? And so just leading by example goes a long way too. Well, our values are actually our Chick-fil-A's values. So. <laughs> so. Our uh, value is to eat Chick-fil-A. That's right. Um, I think we learned along the way. We've had a lot of successes and we've had some failures. But at this point, and parenting never ends. And God is faithful, and he is good, and he is, like we sang today, he is for us. Um, one thing that we learned was to value connection above anything, above rules. Um, I can tell you 100% confidently, and I have one of my daughters back there, all of our children know they are loved, period, at this point in our lives. they I don't think any of them doubt it, and... That's God's heart towards us, and that's the heart that we should have towards our children. And I know a lot of them are challenging. I was talking to a good friend of mine the other day, and his daughter is so far from, from God. But it does, we've, we've all been far from God, really, and that's the heart of God. And so that's what we're, that's what we're continually trying to connect. Yeah. And love over fear. You know, I think we can parent out of fear a lot, and... And that's a big one for me to overcome, but I, we've seen love does conquer all, so. Okay, I was trying to figure out how to frame this as a value, but I'm just going to say it. If there's one thing I could leave you with is um, just the knowledge that you're not alone. You don't do this on your own. We don't parent alone. And I have to remind myself of that as a single person. Sometimes all of the decisions that I have to make regarding myself, my child, finances, sometimes it can just be overwhelming. And um, I just have to hear the Lord say, Lucy, you're not alone. I'm right here. I am here to help you. The Lord, uh, the scripture says that the Lord is our helper. He's a very present help in our time of need. So we're not parenting alone. Whether you're a single person, whether you're a couple, you're not doing it alone. He is your helper. Uh, if it is your desire to be a Christ-centered home, he will give you the wisdom and the strength the know how to do it. Um, and so that's what I want to leave with you is you don't parent alone. He is your helper. Um, all of those are really good things. I was trying to think of something they didn't say already. But um, I think for us, I would, I'll speak for me, but I know this is both of us. It's that our, we kind of always take this pulse on our family to see, you know, how are we doing? And you kind of have to do that regularly. Are we are we just struggling to like, you know, see everybody see each other in one day? If it's getting so crazy that we can't sit down and have a conversation, we need to look back at our calendar and look at our lives and see what, what needs to go. And so we're constantly like learning what it means to say no to things and um, putting our kids first in that way because I think um, you can speak so much to your, your kids if 
they know that they are first in your life, if they know that nothing is more important than them, um, I think that that speaks a lot to you kids. Yeah, and I would just say correct a heart. That's, uh, that would be the thing that I, if I could leave you with one thing, it would be to, um, to correct your children back to their heart. What, where is their heart? And, and why are they behaving? Why are they acting out? Why are they mad? Why are they belligerent? Why, well, like come back to like what, what's going on in your heart? Because um, at the end of the day, they, they just want to know that they're loved by you uh, and know that they're loved by God. Well, we're going we're gonna to close our time out. Uh, what, what do you guys think of this kind of format? You guys, uh, we're not going to do it every Sunday, but you like it all right? Uh, we, we ended up with about uh, seven questions, second service, seven questions, first service that didn't get answered. And so we apologize for that. We tried to get to all of them that we could. Uh, so what we're going to try to do is uh, throughout the week, uh, on Facebook is post the question uh, with the, the best answer. We'll, I'll pull some of these guys after service and, uh, and, and just give you the best answer that we can. Sometimes we just don't have the answers uh, to some of these questions, but um, we'll, we'll answer them the best way, way that we can. And, and so just be looking for those uh, throughout the week on Facebook. Is that interactive? Yeah. Are they able to then to respond or comment on? Um, or? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Because uh, I would love to hear. I, I was going to say, some, some days, I'm glad we're not like a hidden camera reality show because some days it's not Christ-centered. It feels Satan-centered some days. I'm just being honest. It's, and so I just thought it was important for you. None of us are perfect up here at all. And I would love to learn from, from you guys too. So if there's a way yeah. to do that, that would be Which is funny because we're, 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 we're like the opposite because <laughs> I, I want a hidden camera reality TV show following our... I think we would be interesting, but... <laughs> It would be interesting. Well, <laughs> I'm not saying that it wouldn't. Yeah, no. Uh, okay, good. Well, let, let's. Uh, I'm going to dismiss these guys. We're going to close our time out in prayer. Ushers, if you want to get the, uh, the baskets ready, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings, and we'll close our time out in, in one last song. Father.